0: Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help answer all your questions about London. That's why you can listen to this guide in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this London guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge. You can get any question about London answered by real people right here. The latest galleries, West End shows, how to do the big attractions right. How to use the tube. Where to find an absolutely beautiful Sunday roast right now. We are giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, no AI ever. And for a limited time, it's completely free. The Circuit Travel app is available in the App Store right now or at circuittravel.com. Welcome to Circa. Welcome to part two of Hidden London. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, we suggest you check that out first. There's a whole world of hidden delights waiting for you in the UK capital. Underground, up on secluded rooftops, and behind unmasked doors are some little known experiences that Londoners have tried to keep for themselves. And as always, don't worry. There'll be maps, notes and info on the places mentioned in this guide in the Circa app. So sit back, put your headphones on, and let's discover some special parts of London that only the locals know about. Just one rule, you've got to keep them to yourself. circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. From the historic underground to the sky-high modern, I think it's about time that we take a look at some of London's best out-of-sight rooftops. Whatever your cuppa, the current trend is heading skyward. Three neighbourhoods for skyline secrets. Now, London's not the cheapest place on earth. The city's property market and price per square metre is up there with the most expensive in the world. It costs more to rent or buy an apartment here than the Swiss cities of Zurich and Geneva. So it makes sense that hospitality entrepreneurs are making the most of every square inch of space, including the inventive use of rooftops, where all kinds of sky-high activities can be found. Just leave your vertigo at home. Year on year, summers are getting hotter and longer for the UK and especially London. So if you're here during the summer months, this guarantees you'll be treated to longer balmy nights and long twilights. But where should you go for a true rooftop escape that does more than just a simple pint and a view? Let's head to St. Emmons Hotel, just next to St. James's Park, in the heart of Westminster. Looking at this hotel's historic Victorian red brick exterior, you'd never know that it's actually brimming with real life espionage. It's the only publicly accessible building that's connected to the British intelligence service, otherwise known as MI6. Back in the 1930s, the hotel and the building next door were used by officers of the Secret Intelligence Service, SIS, or later MI6, who were located nearby at 54 Broadway. The hotel is surrounded by other secret organisations, including the London branch of Government Communications Headquarters, MI9, British Military Intelligence, and the SIS Chief's Office in Artillery Mansions. The hotel's plush Caxton bar was a meeting point used by the SIS, MI5, and Naval Intelligence. But we're not going to loiter here waiting for James Bond. We're heading up to the hotel's rooftop Wildflower Terrace to meet some other special agents. 300,000 wild bees. Here you can sign up for one of the beekeeping taster sessions where a resident beekeeper will guide you through a hands-on session in the hives to learn how honey is formed. Take a honey-spiked cocktail in the bar afterwards. Kind of like Bond, only sweeter. Peckham is a neighbourhood that's seen quite a few gear changes to become the thriving, multicultural South London hub you'll find today. The area grew from a wealthy residential spot in the 16th century to a commercial centre in the 18th century, one that attracted industrialists who wanted to avoid the high rental prices in central London. Despite Peckham falling into decline in the 70s, it's back on top form today. In part, thanks to a multi-million pound regeneration effort and a creative, artistic community who are daring to do things differently. Let's start with the Bussey Building on Rye Lane. The iconic building was used for wartime production in both World Wars, while its basement doubled as an air raid shelter in World War II. Today, it's the highest drinking spot in the neighbourhood, with a heated covered bar that serves up panoramic views of London's impressive skyline. Even better, each June through to the end of September, you can catch the Bussey Building's rooftop cinema programme and hunker down with popcorn and mojitos under the stars. Also worth mentioning for its standout rooftop, and on the same street in fact, is the Peckham Levels. Once an abandoned seven-storey car park, this innovative social enterprise space provides specialist facilities including creative studios, shared workshops, yoga classes, kiln rooms, 3D printing and other immersive art spaces. Level 6 also hosts some next-level cocktail bars and eateries. Try Near and Far for its excellent gingerbread martini and regular live music programme. Another multi-storey car park in Peckham you should know about is Frank's Cafe. It's part of London's Bold Tendencies Project, a community-focused cooperative that helps local artists develop their ideas in wonderful and often abandoned buildings across London. Frank's is one of the original spaces, a pop-up bar that packs a scenic punch of South London's city skyline. The entire rooftop and car park is peppered with artwork that's built into the fabric of the building itself, from Richard Wentworth's silvery aluminium paint trails snaking across the rooftop, to the famous Millennial Pink Staircase, painted by Simon Wybray in 2016. Then there's the subtle acoustic walls built into the car park floor below, where pop-up concerts are held against a brutalist backdrop. Order one of Frank's legendary cold-brew Negronis and soak up the sunset. Or have a look at the cafe's website beforehand and grab some tickets for a live performance. Who knew a grungy car park held so much potential? We've linked you to all of these in the notes. On the opposite side of the city, in East London's Wapping, which, for all you Americans, is actually spelt with an A, like Wapping, but pronounced Wapping. Just a little tip for London newbies. Anyway, in Wapping, there's also a growing number of up-high, hidden-away venues. For centuries, Wapping was home to many sea travellers and sailors who worked here during the British Empire's boom time for trade. It was a prime target for the German bombers who were flying down the Thames to bomb London during the Blitz of World War II. Many buildings and riverside wharfs got bombed out by enemy planes following the curves of the Thames as they flew off the English Channel. A few years ago, a suspicious-looking orb floated onto the shoreline here, just days after an unexploded bomb was found in Kingston, a different patch of the River Thames. A distressed, whopping resident called the London Bomb Squad only to discover it was a giant, muddy, sparkly Christmas bauble instead. But from time to time, these remnants of a terrifying time in London still resurface. People here, especially in neighbourhoods like Wapping, have long memories. Since we're here, let's take a stroll down by the river and try to spot the location of the famous 400-year-old Wapping execution dock. This sombre spot is where pirates and other sea rebels were allegedly hanged for crimes they committed out at sea. Their bodies would stay hanging until three tides submerged the corpses, as a warning to others. Some say this execution dock is located outside the Prospect of Whitby pub, where, yes, there is a noose hanging over the sand at low tide. The famous diarist Samuel Pepys used to drink and write here quite often. The notoriety of the pub and the surrounding area also attracted visits from Charles Dickens and 19th century Impressionists Turner and Whistler. Both artists sketched views from the pub during their visits. Now, once you've had your fair share of Riverside mystery, let's go skyward again in the lovely local whopping stalwart, the aptly named Skylight. This spot overlooks Tobacco Dock, a riverside spot named as such because of its role as a storage dock for large tobacco imports from industrial cargo ships back in the 1800s. Think killer views across the entire East London's financial district. But the real clincher for me is the chance to take part in the most quintessential of English summer lawn games, rooftop croquet. If that doesn't appeal though, Settle onto one of the squidgy day beds, grab some of the venue's street food, and watch the sky turn violet. Down the road from Wapping in Shoreditch is another East London rooftop, not short on charm, and still under the radar for most, the Culpepper. Named after the 17th-century herbalist Nicholas Culpepper. This award-winning pub and restaurant sports a scenic rooftop garden full of in-season vegetables, microherbs and, of course, local East Londoners gulping at the city skyline. Grab a table here right amidst the towers of tomatoes and planter beds and order off a menu that celebrates the seasonal produce that's growing right beside you. There's also a regular programme of events, talks, rooftop astronomy classes and sunset yoga got a touch of vertigo from all these rooftop escapades? In need of something to bring you back down to solid ground? Luckily for you, I've got just the antidote to high-up adventures. And it starts with us heading down to the River Thames to hop on a boat. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask, Anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. London's not short on museums or galleries or concert halls. The entire city is brimming with world class architecture. But there's one part of the city that sports some phenomenal gems and still manages to fly pretty much under the radar. This place is Greenwich, a downriver spot that's easily reached by taking the Thames Clipper Uber boat from several different piers located along the river. It's the fastest way to reach Greenwich from central London and arguably one of the best to get the full, scenic lineup of all the city's big landmarks. Greenwich began as a Saxon village. Since the beginning, it's been a place synonymous with boats and trade. Today, one of the bigger claims to fame is the old Royal Naval College, a stunning piece of architecture that once served as a royal hospital for seamen at Greenwich. It was designed by the late, great British architect, Christopher Wren, and built between 1696 and 1712. Today, it's on the UNESCO World Heritage Site list for outstanding universal value. Luckily, it lives up to the hype. The grounds and some of the college buildings are open for you to wander around, Which you must, because inside these deceptively austere college walls are some pretty spectacular works of art, which have somehow avoided the tourist hordes. Maybe it's because of Greenwich's out-of-centre location, or perhaps it's the Greenwich Observatory that gets all the limelight. Either way, definitely head inside. First, the Painted Hall. This Baroque masterpiece has been compared by many art historians as the British equivalent of the Sistine Chapel in Rome. About 400,000 square feet of this royal hall are covered in Italian Baroque inspired decorations that were painted over 19 meticulous years by British artist Sir James Thornhill. His efforts earned him a knighthood and a paycheck of £6,685. That's about £785,000 in today's money. Thornhill used two key Baroque techniques whilst painting the hall. trompe trick the eye, and chiaroscuro, contrast of light and dark. This enlivened the feel of the hall with an illusionary, otherworldly atmosphere. The painted hall was originally intended to be a dining room for naval pensioners, but it soon became a more important ceremonial space, even hosting the lying-in-state of English Sea Captain Lord Nelson. Keep your eyes peeled for the plaque on the floor that commemorates the exact spot where his body lay. The next port of call is the Queen's House, over on the other side of the Naval College. It's considered the first classical building in the UK and was designed by famous architect of the age, Inigo Jones, in the early 1600s. He was commissioned by King James I to construct the house in honour of Queen Anne of Denmark. Inside, you'll find an internationally acclaimed art exhibition. And for this one, we recommend you grab some audio headsets on your way in. What's really spectacular about this building is the Tulip Stairs, one of the first features of the building and the first official geometric self-supporting spiral staircase in Britain. It's also the spot where Reverend R.W. Hardy took a famous photo back in 1966. He was only taking the snap to show off the bare staircase. But when the photos were developed, an unmistakable shroud of two or three figures can be seen clustered in the stairwell. Then in 2002, a gallery assistant saw a figure gliding across a balcony dressed in an old fashioned white grey dress and passing through a wall. If that doesn't put you off, come directly beneath the stairs and look up. It's like an Escher optical illusion. The view is stunning, whether you see the ghosts of England's past or not. Let's head back into the city centre to uncover some other inconspicuous architectural gems. Leadenhall Market is right in the heart of London's Square Mile, or the Financial District, as it's also known. This ancient 14th-century covered market manages to blend shopping, art and architecture in one colourful hit, and is also pleasingly sparse on tourists. Leadenhall Market dates back to 1321, in what was then the centre of Roman London. It's weird to think this now elegant, eye-catching arcade was once a smelly meat, poultry and game market. In 1666, the Great Fire of London destroyed much of the market's elegant structure and it fell into disrepair for nearly 200 years. But in 1881, famed architect Sir Horace Jones, whose job it was to revamp and rebuild London, designed the market to feature cobbled flooring and ornate roofing. The new facelift proved an instant hit and it's managed to maintain this charming aesthetic ever since. Come here to see how financiers get their shoes shined. Old school style. Or stop and refuel like the locals with a pint of Guinness and some oysters at Chamberlain's, one of several salty fresh seafood bars on the ground floor of the market. The Leadenhall Market isn't just a spot for boutique shopping or soaking up the Victorian architectural ambience. It's also a must for diehard Harry Potter fans. Why? Well, it was featured in the first and second movies as the entrance to the Leaky Cauldron pub and Leadenhall's passages are the cobbled streets where Harry and Hagrid walk on their way to Diagon Alley. You'll want to look for number 42, Bull's Head Passage. It's had a paint job since filming, but this was the original Leaky Cauldron entrance. After this, the producers of the films chose a different location for the fictional pub, yet another ancient market in London, Borough Market. Next up, let's go to Hackney. Located on Mare Street, look out for a shop filled with Grecian busts that's called The Last Tuesday Society. What lies behind this unassuming shop exterior is actually the Victor Wind Museum of Curiosities, Fine Art and Natural History. Really, the name doesn't do justice for what you'll actually discover inside. It's known to insiders of the London art circuit, but it's pretty much off the beaten track for everyone else. Expect to enter a weird and wonderful shop with velvet-cloaked rooms stuffed with every kind of oddity, plus a ton of shells, skulls and taxidermy, as well as some seriously surreal art. A heads up, this spot is wonderfully weird. And there's also an absinthe parlour and a cocktail bar, just in case you fancy taking the surreal vibes up a notch. Reservations are recommended in advance. And yeah, we've linked you in the notes. Speaking of taking things up a notch, our next foray into London's best secret addresses is actually inspired by the original prohibition establishments that popped up stateside in New York and Chicago in the 30s. This city has got a speakeasy scene that's so good, most Londoners would quite honestly rather keep it to themselves. But hey, I'm feeling generous, and I prefer not to drink alone, so… London's standout secret speakeasies Without stating the obvious, London isn't short on drinking establishments. You don't have to wander more than a few metres to find a grimy old boozer for a pint, a chic wine bar for a carafe, or a decadent cocktail den for a ridiculously named concoction. So why should you care about drinking in secret, when you can do it out in the open? Well, London is a place where most of the best parties happen behind the door, behind the door. We love a secret knees up. The kind you'll learn about through word of mouth, not through Facebook. And that may also require a few special winks, nudges, and maybe a code word to get you and your crew inside the nondescript door. Sometimes there isn't even a door. And in others, there's a fridge door. But wait. First, let's rewind to the American Prohibition era of the 20s and 30s. South sewer go thousands of gallons. But it's only a drop on the bucket. It's important to point out that London didn't actually go the same route as the USA when it came to prohibition. There was definitely pressure, though, for the UK government to lay down a national ban on the production, sale, and transportation, or bootlegging as it's known, of alcoholic drinks. This pressure mainly came from religious institutions worried about the intoxicating effects of alcohol consumption. Now, if you know anything about the nature of Londoners and their penchant for a cheeky pint, you can imagine how well this idea was received by the masses. The British brewing industry wasn't having any of it either. They quickly established a counter-campaign. Don't let them rob you of your beer. To appeal to men and women's civil liberties... Mass-produced flyers were printed touting alcohol as an aid for digestion and planting fears about possible unemployment, lack of trade and even a rise in crime if prohibition got the green light. The messaging worked. For Britain, booze stayed on the menu. Interestingly, London's actual Puritan movement with banning booze goes back way before the 30s. It was around the late 17th and early 18th century that gin was brought onto UK soils and it quickly became a smash hit for people to get smashed on, especially in London. And it was good timing too. Gin was a winning alternative to the then popular French brandy at a time of both political and religious conflict between Britain and France. So it was out with the brandy and in with a spirit that earned itself the British nickname Mother's Ruin. Why? Well... 18th century London's gin obsession was blamed for everything from misery to rising crime, madness, and falling birth rates. Gin establishments allowed women to drink alongside men for the first time, which allegedly led to women neglecting their children and turning to prostitution, hence the name Mother's Ruin. Nickname or not, the gin craze had officially arrived. The poor and the wealthy guzzled it down to the point that Parliament passed five major acts between 1729 to 1751 in an effort to temper the nation's gin-soaked love affair. In the end, like America's ban on the sale of alcohol, it didn't really work. And today, London still produces some of the world's finest gins. Fast forward to the Prohibition era... And by 1930, London had cemented its relationship to gin and what's now the most quintessential Brit cocktail of choice, a perfectly mixed gin tea. Order it with cucumber because well, we're in Britain and it doesn't get more English than cucumbers in your cocktails. By the way, I know I'm recommending you visit tucked away speakeasies in a city that never technically needed them, but this is London. Everything comes with a side serving of irony. And believe me, secret drinking dens in this town are more than a fad. They're here to stay. Here's my top three spots to sip something seductive and on the sly. Hidden inside a former suit tailor's storeroom in Allgate, London's financial district, Discount Suit Company does the whole we-need-to-keep-this-place-to-ourselves vibe very well. Against a soundtrack of Northern Soul and vintage rock and roll, you'll quaff inventive, expertly mixed cocktails by candlelight. If you're smart, order the venue's generous cheese board too, for £11.50. You may rub shoulders with financiers and other suited and booted souls, which makes sense given the name. A little further out east, down the grubby Hackney Road, is the Natural Philosopher. There's no shortage of good mixology enclaves in this part of town, But this tiny hangout is disguised as an apple repair shop. It stands out for cocktails inspired by the bar staff's local foraging sessions in nature. Come sundown, the basement here transforms into an ambient cocktail den, complete with vintage desktops and laptops, original iPods and typewriter keyboards. This tiny hobbit-sized room is the perfect spot for a date night. Last but not least, and tucked away in Colebrook Row, just off Angel Islington's bustling Essex Road, is a teeny tiny, dark and stormy little slice of mixology heaven, otherwise known as the bar with no name. A pianist tinkles in the corner, and takes up a third of the space, in what genuinely feels like an elegant Lower East Side bar circa 1925. Cocktails are classic, no fast, and designed to loosen your tongue. Don't loiter either once you leave. The venue's true-to-form speakeasy rules include leaving the venue quietly so you don't rouse local residents from their slumber. How very prohibition. At its heart, London is the pulsating, larger-than-life, up-in-your-grill global city you're coming for, no doubt about it. But that's only one side of the story. I dare you to seek out some of the secrets shared in this episode – Take the elevator up, head a little deeper underground and get to know the city's lesser-known postcodes and spaces. You'll be happy you did. Thanks for listening to our Hidden London episode. We hope some of the places and spaces piqued your interest. And don't worry, you'll be able to find all the maps, notes and info about these under-the-radar gems in the Circa app. Whether you're heading to London now, sometime in the near future, or you'd just like to learn all about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide, plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. For pictures and maps and notes and all the places in this episode, download the Circa app. Maybe you'll want to check out our guides for Rome, Costa Rica, Iceland and many more to come. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it.